You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Yeah, hey guys, how you doing tonight? Man, it feels good to be with you guys tonight, it really does. Uh, what, a, what a fun time. I felt like I, I drank like three uh, energy drinks after, like during worship. That's what it felt like to me. Anybody else feel the same way? Like suddenly just like jacked up. It was good. Like I'm so, so stoked. Um, I, you know, I know part of it for me is just hearing the electric guitars that we've added over the last few weeks. So that's a big part of it because I'm an old rocker. Um, so I know that's a piece of it. But I, I don't know. Andrew, thank you for leading that team and, and music team, you guys on there. Thank you again for... Just like, I just felt like you just like led us to the heart of God in some way. And I know that like this is not a show, but I know when God's people get together and get really, really excited about Jesus and the cross and the blood and the gospel, like when we get excited about that, I think it's just infectious. And I just felt like, man, it's just good. I, I felt like, I, like God's presence was just really tangible for us. So um, um, it's good to see you guys. Um, and if you're new with us tonight, I want to take a minute and just say welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, we're stoked that you're here with us. Um, before you leave tonight, please grab one of those visitor cards, those connect cards that Brandon was talking about. Uh, obviously, my name's Joe, just kind of one of the leaders here. Um, glad to have you here. Uh, it's good to look out and see all of you gathered, um, all of you worshiping and sharing stories. Um, man, like, just listening, like Jennifer, listening to your story, like just brought tears to my eyes a minute ago because like this is what we exist for as a church. Um, like our, our big vision, like we want to be a gospel-centered church family that like raises up and grows disciples who live for the glory of God. And so it's just really cool hearing stories like that where people have been clean for five years and then have found a church family where they can live out the gospel throughout the week. And so super stoked for those things. I want to talk to you for a minute about our, uh, our, our gospel community that we're launching this Wednesday. Uh, one of the things we want to be all about as a church is... Uh, is the gospel just like exploding and expanding into new communities of people that have gathered together around the gospel. The gospel is what's holding us together. Jesus is who we're looking to to lead us. And so, uh, and so we feel like we'd be a stagnant church if we weren't continuing to kind of uh, expand and plant new gospel communities. So we've been strategizing and dreaming and praying about this and gathered up a handful of you who were not uh, currently connected to a gospel community and getting ready to launch that out this Wednesday. So got a really cool uh, resource written by my buddy Bob Thune out of Omaha from Coram Deo. Uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called Gospel Center Community, about a nine-week study. Uh, for those of you who that are doing our Porterbrook stuff, this is kind of a smaller version of that gospel community study we did in Porterbrook. My hope and my desire, my prayer, my dream is that that just really helps to cement together a group of people who, again, are looking to Jesus to be everything for them as we follow him together, serve each other, grow in the gospel, and then serve others in our community at the same time. And so, so if you're not part of a gospel community, man, you heard there's three of them, um, we'd like you to be a part of one. We just believe that that's where people can be cared for the most and then care for other people as well. Also, please be praying for us as we launch that one on Wednesday, because that's just a great opportunity to reach new people even, and, uh, and to see people in our church congregation grow together. So please be praying for that. Um, also, our new member seminar, I know I've talked to like four or five, maybe six of you about doing that on the 30th. I think Dave's going to help with that. Brandon mentioned that too. If you're here and you're just hearing about that for the first time, we'd really like you to be there. Like we're going to serve lunch. We'll have some donuts and some coffee. We're going to teach through about four or five sessions. 
um, just things about what it means to be a, a healthy and growing Jesus-centered disciple that is learning how to pray well, learning how to discipline themselves well, learn how to correct others and receive correction, um, learn how to study the, God, the word of God well, learning how to listen to God's word well, and, and just a host of other topics that we believe are real foundational and important to your growth as a disciple. So if you have not yet gone through that, please uh, jump in, dive in, give me a holler. Uh, we'll also spend some time taking you through some spiritual gifts and personality assessments so we can figure out how God has wired you and gifted you and the passion he's given you so that we can then, at the end of all that, commission you into ministry somewhere here in our local church. We believe that disciples of Jesus should be given their time, their talent, and their treasure, and so this is the way we do that. So we'll, we'll have this seminar, and then we'll have some uh, kind of formal elder interviews afterwards uh, in the week following, and then we'll kind of do a special commissioning service where you'll come up front, and we'll pray for you, and, and at that point, you'll become formal members of the church, and I'm so excited about that. So if you're not in yet, you haven't been jumped into the game, haven't gotten your patch on the back of your motorcycle vest to be in the club, then you should probably give us a holler. And if you're not in the club, it's okay, because you're still here, and we love you, and we're glad you're here. You don't have to be in the club to be special. You're still special, so I'm just being goofy, just so that you know that if you're new with us tonight. So with that, those are kind of my announcements got out of the way. Let's, uh, let's pray real fast. Let's, let's dive into the scriptures together. We'll be in Luke chapter 15 here in just a moment. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to come before these people tonight. Um, just lots of good friends and family in the audience. Um, and, and God, thank you for gathering us here tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to preach. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would be present, that you would make your word powerful, that, uh, that you would make it come alive in front of us. God, that you would challenge us and encourage us where we need that, and, uh, and that you would just, be, um, just become like, uh, like the star of the show, God, that you would just draw our attention to Jesus. God, that you would help us to rest in Christ. Help us to rest in the power of the cross. Help us to rest in the power of the empty tomb. Lord, I just know that each and every one of us has a different story as we walk in here this evening. Each of us with a different story about what it means to be lost and then get found by you. And, and this is kind of just the theme that we've been diving into for the last couple of weeks and will continue for the next few weeks. And so God, I pray that you would like just bring home the meaning of this passage to our hearts and reveal places deep within us where maybe we're still just running away from you places where we need to be called back by you, places where we need, we need to be challenged to follow you and to come back home and to see you as our heavenly father who loves us dearly, the compassionate father who comes to the end of the driveway for us. So God, I just pray for that, and I pray that you would receive much honor and glory from our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 11 through 24 this evening. I want to turn there. I'm going to go ahead and just read through it as you turn there. It's Jesus speaking. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. And so in this passage located in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, what Jesus is doing here is he's telling stories. He's telling stories about the lost getting found by God. And he's doing this in response and and really in stark contrast to the hearts of the religious leaders and the religious elite who were gathered around him, who were grumbling and whining and complaining about how Jesus was engaging with the sick and sinful people around him. Like the first story that Jesus tells us is about a lost sheep. First few verses of chapter 15. Tells us a story about a lost sheep that gets found by a faithful shepherd. And the second story that Jesus tells us is about a woman who loses a coin that belonged to her, so she searches diligently until she finds it. And she throws like this really fat party to celebrate the fact that she has found the valuable coin that belongs to her. See, in these stories, what we learn and what we see is we see this picture of God the Father who is the great shepherd who searches for and finds the sheep that has absentmindedly wandered off and gotten himself lost. We also see this picture of God the Father who diligently searches and seeks for his highly valuable Children who accidentally get lost. He finds them his joy over finding them, over finding what belongs to him. It's like uncontainable. It's the picture of God we see in these stories. Philip Ryken commenting on this entire chapter, as he comments on these three stories, he says that these three stories are very much like hearing the same melody played on three different musical instruments. It's all the same music, but each story has its own unique sound. Like we pity the lost sheep, we prize the lost coin, but we identify most clearly the story of the lost son. I think that what Riken is saying about this passage, and what he says here, especially in this little comment, is good. I think it's right. Like we do have a tendency to kind of pity the lost sheep. We do have a tendency to prize the lost coin. I think we identify most with the son who got lost. I think we identify with the son so much because in that story of the lost son, we see the same story of sickness in him that we oftentimes see in our own lives and throughout the world as we engage in relationship with others. I want you to think for a moment about the sickness that we see like within ourselves and as we look around us throughout the world. I spent some considerable time this week thinking about my heart 
and about other people's hearts that I love a ton, people that I get to shepherd, people that I'm related to, people that I'm friends with, just different people as well as my own heart, and thinking about the various levels of sickness there as well as throughout the world. I want to share some stats with you. Share some stats that I, th- I think most of us will, will probably identify with in many different ways. You'll notice that in some of these stats, if you know me really well, you'll know that I fall into some of these from, from my past as well. Places of struggle, places of sickness. Like in the world, as we look around, we see the sickness of pornography and sexual addiction. Like 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women struggle with sexual addiction. of pastors are regular consumers of pornography. The top five issues within the church today, just based on studies, is pornography addiction, 57%. Sexually active, never married adults at 34%. Adultery of married adults at 30%. Sexually active teenagers at 28%. And sexual dissatisfaction at 16%. Like these, these stats for me are absolutely staggering when I read those, when I begin to realize just how sick we really are. Think about the sickness of divorce, too. In America, there is one, listen to this, one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. Every 36 seconds, approximately one divorce. And that's nearly, that's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per year. Like that number is gut-wrenching when you think about the pain and the heartache that comes out of that kind of a number in our culture around us. You think about the sickness of drug and alcohol addiction as well. 100 people die every day from drug overdose. 100 people every day. The, that rate has tripled in the past 20 years. It's not going down, it's going up, it's getting worse. Like that sickness is just getting worse in the culture around us. Out of 16.6 million people who struggle with alcoholism, 2.6 million were also dependent on illicit substances, illegal substances. It's estimated that over 95% of those people who struggle in this area of alcoholism believe that they have no need for any help. About eating disorders. It's another one. In the United States, 20 million women and 10 million men suffer from a clinically significant eating disorder at some time in their life. This includes anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, or an eating disorder that's not otherwise specified. That's an absolutely heartbreaking um, number. And you got the sickness of suicide. What about suicide? These numbers are staggering too. Every day, approximately 105 Americans commit suicide. Suicide is actually the second leading cause of death among 15 to 24-year-old kids. It's just absolutely staggering, scary. As you look at the sickness around us, and I know that many of us, all of us in this room, have probably brushed up with some of these statistics personally somehow, whether experiencing it personally in our own lives or experiencing it in somebody else's life that we've known. We've experienced that kind of sickness. The sickness around us and inside of us is real. It's something that we can't run from. It's something we kind of have to face. Like we can blame our sickness on our upbringing, our influences, our circumstances, 
And sometimes we can even blame our sickness on our sickness, but the reality is that, is that after all of the psychological, physiological, and sociological evaluations and treatments have been rendered, the reality and the truth is that we still have to face this fact that we are a sick people in the middle of kind of a sick world. That's why this passage is so important for us. And in verses 11 through 12, we see this son who gets sick of living at home. Like in this story, Jesus is telling us about a man who had two sons. The younger son was sick of living at home, and the older son was sick of his younger brother. That's something we're going to get back to in just a couple of weeks. This week, we're going to focus more on just the younger son who came to his father, and he says this. He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. The younger son was sick of being at home. He wanted, wanted what belonged to him. But what Jesus doesn't really do for us is he doesn't really describe like the conditions of the home or, or like the interfamily relationships necessarily at first. But we do kind of catch a picture of that as we continue our study. The details that he does tell us reveals that this younger son was just plain sick of being at home in his father's presence. He wants to spread his wings and fly. He wants to get out and leave. He wants something that he does not have. He desires and dreams of a better life out there somewhere. Believes that he could just have the physical wealth that is coming to him. When his dad dies, then then his life will be better because he's sick of living at home with his dad. It's not just that he's sick of living at home. It's that he's really sick of living at home with his father. Because the reality is, is that it's not, it's, not just that it's not just that he just wanted stuff from his dad. The reality is like when he comes to his dad and he's like, hey, hey dad, would you please give me my inheritance? What he's really saying to his dad is, hey dad, I wish you were dead. Like the only value I have for you dad is to get your stuff from you so that I can have a different life. So the reality is his inheritance is not supposed to come to you until after someone dies. So subjectively, underneath all of this, that's really what the son is saying is, it's not so much that I'm tired of living here. I'm tired of you, Dad. I want your stuff. I don't value you. I don't value our relationship. I value the stuff that I think will give me a better life somewhere else. Does this sound familiar to you in any way? Does this story maybe strike a chord, maybe deep within your heart? Do you, do you see yourself connected to this younger son somehow? Like, what's it like for you when you get sick of living at home in God's presence? What's it like for you? You get bored with reading God's word? Does your prayer life feel mundane? Is your gospel community not being the savior that you wished it would be? And do you find yourself receptive and ready to act upon the preaching of God's word? Or are you, are you resistant, sleepy, and unengaged with the preaching of God's word? Like, what's it like for you when you get sick of living in God's presence but don't really want to admit it? What's it like for you when you begin to desire the benefits of God's presence while actually resisting God's presence? What's it like for you when you really begin to wish that God the Father was dead so that you could take advantage of all that He has given you without having to return the investment of His deep love for you? What's this like for you when you go through those seasons? like for you when you get sick of living at home in God's presence? 
Like notice that getting sick of living at home in God's presence is really just really like the first phase of sickness that we all struggle with. Like in verses 13 through 16, we see that the son then moves on and just gets really sick. Like he just gets even more sick than he was to begin with. Think of the progression of how sickness works for us. Like first you get a stuffy nose, you begin sneezing, you start coughing, right? Your head, your head and your throat start to hurt, fever starts, and your energy levels, your appetite levels decrease. Pretty soon you can't get out of bed because you feel like death warmed over, right? We've all had those experiences, I'm sure. That's what happens to the son who comes and demands that his father give him the material wealth that's coming to him right now so he can run away from home because he's sick of living with his father this son who is sick of living at home and sick of living with his father is beginning to get super sick at this point jesus tells us that the younger son begins to get really sick like more sick than he was before just when a few days later like he comes and he gathers the text tells us he gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway country and there he squandered his property in reckless living the first stage of this young son getting really sick was to pack his bags and then run away from the father he was sick of being around. The second stage of the younger son getting really sick was to get as far away from his father that he was sick of. And then the third stage of this younger son getting even more sick was to blow his entire bank account on the highs of living the high life. This is always the pattern for people who are sick of living at home in the presence of the Father. It's always the same pattern. It looks the same in our lives. When we begin to resist living in God's presence, we move from one stage to the other to the other of sickness as we continue to get even more sick. We pack up our bags and we leave. We run as far away as we possibly can to get away from God's presence. We waste away our lives recklessly living in ways that God calls us not to live. Sometimes we are just like this son. Sometimes we are just like this son who is sick of living in the presence of his father and continue to get even more sick. But right in the middle of the story, something happens, right? Something always happens. There's always like kind of a crescendo to the story. If you're a good storyteller, like great movies catch our attention because they kind of rise, right? They kind of rise and they plateau for a moment and like crash down. And if, if they're really good, they like come back up and then crash back down again. And in this story, we see something like that. Something happens. Something happens to rock our world. Like the proverbial wheels fall off the bus. Like for us, what does this look like? It's when the girl breaks up with us, or when it's the dude that has the affair. When that drug nearly kills us, or when the marriage ends in divorce, when that teenager rebels, when a friendship falls apart, when the car gets repossessed, when the drunken binge ends with another person in our bed whose name we really can't remember, when the disease gets diagnosed as fatal. Everyone sees the sin that we've been trying to hide. So when the dead ends of our lives rock our world, like this is the point where we see our deep needs. When the dead ends of our lives begin to rock our world, this is when we begin to see the deep need of our lives. 
Jesus draws our attention to this kind of proverbial dead end in this story when he says that when the son was getting really sick and had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. It's like tragedy striking our lives because sin has affected everything from interpersonal relationships to the economy to the weather. Like when tragedy strikes, when, when, when we get squeezed by the hardship of life, something oozes out of us. And what oozes out of us in those moments reveals what's really going on deep within our hearts and our souls. What oozes out of us reveals the sickness deep within each of us. When life falls apart and we find that we've wasted our lives recklessly, we find we are in great need. Where do we turn to, though? Where do we go? Where do we turn in our moments of deepest need? Like Jesus says that this young man was getting really sick while he was living his life recklessly. And in the midst of living recklessly, this famine begins to spread across the land. And he realizes his unmet needs. He realizes the needs that he has that are not being met by his current way of living. So what does he do with his unmet needs? Jesus tells us this. He says that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And catch this. No one gave him anything. I want you to think about that for a minute. No one gave him anything. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Haven't you experienced this as well? Haven't you experienced those seasons of life where you started out with a sniffle, right? You started out with a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a sneeze, a little runny nose. You started out there, but then in a short time, because you didn't take proper care of yourself, you wound up feeling like death warmed over in your bed. Like that's what's happening with this young boy. As his sickness gets even worse, he starts out as a young man who was just sick of being in his father's presence. And then he progresses into a young man who is living some sort of sick and twisted lifestyle. And now it's as though he is like death warmed over as he finds his way into the pig pen. Think about this. Finds his way into the pig pen to get his unmet needs met in the dirtiest of places he could ever go only to find this out. Only to find out that his needs will not be met in the pig pen. Nobody would give him anything. Like this son who is sick of living with his father has gotten really sick and just continued down the worst road of life that he could possibly go down. I know that many of us in this room have experienced this many different seasons of our lives. Going from sick even more sick. And like there's no way that we can survive the sickness of being apart from God's presence, is there? That's the moral of this story. There's no way we can survive in any healthy, God-honoring, good state of living if we are continuously running from the presence of God and what He wants for us. 
When we despise the life that God wants for us, we get sick of being at home in God's presence. So we then just jump ship and we get as far away from God as we possibly can. And then, and then we squander our lives living recklessly and we wind up worshiping at the shrine of the pig pen while longing to survive on the very things which made us really sick in the first place. Drug dealers won't meet our deepest needs. Our late night booty calls won't meet our deepest needs. Our drunken stupor will never meet our deepest needs. Our continual obsession and pursuit of a new marriage, a new set of friends, a new counselor, a new car, a new hobby, a new you fill in the blank, whatever it is, those new things will never meet our deepest needs. <clears throat> Guys, listen, our continual pursuit of surviving the sickness while being apart from God's presence will do nothing more than make us even more sick. That's why the next few verses are so important for us to see and to hear. Because <clears throat> in verses 17 through 19, we see that the son gets sick for home. This is a great turning point in the text for us. At this point, the son who was sick of living at home with his father has, has left home and squandered his life recklessly as he becomes even more sick. And as this happens, he begins to get sick of the right things rather than the wrong things. Ever had that moment of your life where you begin to get sick of the right things rather than being sick of the wrong things? Your life begins to take a turn? Jesus says that the younger son, when he came to himself, catch that phrase, when he came to himself. This is in effect to say, hey, when this kid woke up, it's like when he woke up in the middle of the pig pen and he realized what was going on, it was like up until that point he was totally blind. He's dead. Had no clue. Jesus says, when he came to himself, he said, oh, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. One of the boys in my weekly study group at the regional center this week made this really profound observation as we were talking through this text. Kid looked at me and he says, hey. He goes, this son didn't know that everything he ever needed was back at home in the presence of his father until he was literally laying in the pig pen with the nothing that he previously thought was everything. Jesus basically says the same thing when he says, hey, when the sick son like, came to himself, when he woke up, he realized that everything he needed was back at home in his father's presence. In other words, this son, this really sick son, finally woke up from his sin-induced sickness, and he became sick for home instead. He became homesick for the only home that could provide for his deepest needs in the presence of his father. Are you in that place today? Are you in that place today where you are homesick for the presence of your heavenly father? 
Are you waking up right now? Are you waking up to the reality that you've followed your deepest longings to find your provision apart from being at home in the presence of God? Are you being provoked like right now in these moments as you study? Are you being provoked to hunger for God's Word? Do you long for the presence of God through daily prayer and worship? Are you being moved to a position and like a, with a deep desire for personal repentance over the sin in your life in light of the cross of Christ? Is your heart being awoken from its deadly slumber to the preaching of God's Word right now? Like, are you in that place where you are homesick for the presence of your Heavenly Father, the, the only one that can heal you, the only one that can fulfill you, the only one that can sustain you? Are you homesick for Him? This is you. If this is you, then the next few verses should be helpful. Like a light at the end of the tunnel. Like in verses 20-24, we see that this son comes home and becomes sick no more. Like the son comes home and gets healed. But the Scriptures tell us that there is a place, there is a place where there is no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because there is no more sin. This place that the Scriptures speak of is a, is a place that all believers long for. This place that all believers long for is the place that affects our lives now. It's a place called heaven. This place called heaven is that perfect place in God's presence. In the presence of God who has washed away our sin sickness through the cross of Christ. Through the sacrifice of Christ. And then has endowed us with power from an empty tomb because our Savior is alive. That's the power that must course through the veins of every believer who is being healed in the presence of God because of our trust in the message of the gospel, which quite simply says that you and I are super sick. We are an absolute wreck and an absolute mess. And we need Jesus. So He came as a perfect offering for you and I. So that by His death, we could be saved and transformed and changed. That we can be transformed and changed from enemies of God into children of God the place that God is calling every one of us to is a home in heaven where the Father's presence through Christ we can receive healing from that sin and that sickness of rebelliously living apart from Him. Like when sick people come home to Christ, we become sick no more. This is why Jesus tells us about the fact that the son who was sick of living at home with his father, who then left home and became really sick, but then woke up in the midst of the pig pen and became homesick because he knew that only when he went home, when he received the healing from his sickness that he really needed. So Jesus tells us that he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the picture of how our Heavenly Father relates to us. 
This is the picture of how our Heavenly Father receives us. Like God doesn't wait back, hanging back with this look on His face like, oh, you're coming back now? Well, I'll put you to work in the back so like, you can like, prove your way. Like you effed it up really bad here, so you need to go back here and prove yourself. That's not the Father that we serve. That's not the God who loves us compassionately. The picture we have of God in this passage is a God who runs out after sick people who are returning to Him so that He can show them the extent of His love and His compassion for them by meeting them right there in the midst of their sickness. You have to prove anything to God. You have to change anything for God. That's God's job. Like He meets you there so that He can change you. His compassion, His love. Do you see this picture of God the Father? If there's anything I want more tonight for anybody hearing this message is that you would catch a bigger picture of God the Father in heaven who loves you completely. You see this picture of God the Father running towards you right now. I notice what the Son says to the Father. Look back at the text. Notice what the Son says to the Father, and then notice the response the Father gives. Jesus says, The Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He's basically saying, Daddy, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God. This is a moment of waking up where this Son realizes what he did. It's not a glossing it over like, oh yeah, I kind of messed up a little bit. This Son realizes the mess that his sickness has made in his life, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can you feel the emotion behind what this son is saying? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you can't even look at me as a son anymore. There's no way I could even be your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Like the son who was sick, confessed his sin against God and his father, and he begged to be placed in a position of a lowly servant. He said, just put me to work. Just put me to work out back. Father's response was to completely restore this young man to the position of son. This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of a father who goes to great lengths to save you and I. This is the work of a father who sends his only son, Jesus, in all of his perfection to give his life as a ransom to purchase and to buy you and I back from the slave master of the sickness and the sin which has totally dominated our lives. It's a picture of that father who doesn't just send us out back as a servant, calls us sons and daughters. The father completely restored his son by calling him son. By giving him clothing that belonged to the son. Like This is what happens in the gospel as you begin to follow Jesus. All of your old life begins to fall away. 
Pretty soon you're sharing testimonies of how five years ago this is where I was. And because of Jesus, here I am today. He's given me brand new clothing. He's called me son. I'm no longer his enemy. I'm no longer a castaway. I'm no longer sitting in the pig pen desiring to eat that which makes me sick. I'm now living and feeding on the very word of God, which is Christ himself. And I'm being made brand new. Jesus comes to you as a father and he says, hey, you're mine. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. I am well pleased with you. When the father comes to you, he says that not because of anything that you and I did great, but because of everything that Christ does. And from that moment forward, we continuously live in the shadow of the cross and the protection of Christ and the, and the washing of his blood over us as he continues to cleanse us and renew us and restore us and reconcile us. He calls us sons and daughters. He sets us down at a table and he throws a fat feast. Gives us new clothing so that we no longer look or smell the way we used to. His father in this text even gives a ring to the son, which I believe just signifies a position in the family. As a son. And in the words of another regional center kid and just let me pause like when I, I go out to the regional center on Tuesdays um, in the afternoons I get to sit with boys that and some of them have just been through some really horrific things like I remember one kid telling me that um, part of his story was that he came home and found his dad face down in the couch dead from an overdose another young man telling me a story about how he come home to his dad beating the snot out of his mom and he had to get a baseball bat to get this kid get his dad off of his mom. Just horrific stories. These guys have been through a lot. Typically when these guys are out there, they're out there um, and they gotta have, meet three criteria typically. It's gotta be a drug or substance abuse issue. It's gotta be some sort of a crime issue that's taking place. Um, and there's also gotta be some sort of a psychological issue going on. For most of these boys out there that I sit with on a weekly basis, this has been their fourth or fifth or sixth trip to a lockup facility. And for them, they're living lives that are hopeless. And what I do when I go out there is I just, I actually open the text I'm going to preach the, the following Sunday, and I ask these guys like, hey, will you help me make some observations just as you read it? And it's always a fantastic conversation. This one kid out there this last week, he said this. I just thought it was phenomenal. And he said this, he said, hey, the son came home, and he asked for the minimum, but he received the maximum. He asked for the minimum amount of goodness that he believed his father would give him. And his daddy poured out the maximum amount of his love towards his son. This is the picture of the cross of Christ. This is the central theme of the Gospel of Luke all the way through. Luke 19.10 is the central theme. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was sick, that which was disconnected, those who didn't have a home anymore. The son asked for the minimum and received the maximum. This is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that many of you here would continue believing that. It's my prayer that some of you here would believe that for the first time this evening. Are you captured? 
Are you captured by the opportunity that you have this evening to come home to the presence of God and be sick no more? Do you long for the healing presence of God the Father? Are you ready to rest in the arms of God's compassion and love despite the sick life that you may have lived, may currently be living? Are you ready for that? Can you see God waiting at the end of the driveway with His arms open wide and His tears flowing with love and with joy because He has loved you for this long? You catch a picture of your Father in heaven that knew you before the foundations of the world were even set, long before the first star was even created. He loved you. He loved you. He's loved you unconditionally since then. Catch that picture of your Father in heaven. Can you sense the Spirit of God wanting to clothe you in a completely new life as a son of God? rather than an enemy of God? Are you ready to feast as a new found son or daughter of God the Father? Have you been brought or are you being brought from death to life, from being lost to being found, from being enemy to being family? Are you ready for that? Are you a person who once was lost and sick, but now is found and healed through the gospel? Are you captured by the opportunity to come home to the presence of God and be sick no more? That's my hope and my prayer for all of us. Let me pray as our music team comes forward. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach tonight. God, do pray for us as we head into communion and, and worship together. Do pray, God, that you would move on our hearts. Lord, as we receive the elements of communion, that we would continue to remember the power of the message of the gospel and that we remember the deep an awesome love which you have for us. God, I pray for our hearts. I pray for some who are here that don't know you. I pray, God, that you would draw them to you. I pray for some who are here in this room that do know you, and I pray, God, that you would just give a, a refreshing sense of your presence, your love and your compassion, and your power to change life. I pray that you would give that to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, as we wrap up our time together tonight, we're going to close in communion and worship and prayer. It's the three things we do at the end. Meaning this, there'll be two of us near the front that would like to pray with you for any needs you may have. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to confess sin, repent of sin, ask for prayer for personal needs. Maybe it's a time for you to give your life to the Lord and just say, tonight's it. Like, I'm surrendering. I'm, I'm, I'm in the pig pen. I've got to come out of it. We want to pray with you. We want to serve you that way. So there'll be two of us me up front and I think Brandon over here I think on the other side is I think who will be up here so there'll be some of us to pray with you and then they're going to lead us in worship and as we worship we've got two servers up here who will serve you communion communion is an opportunity for you to reflect and remember the work of Christ at the cross where his body was broken brutally where he was murdered so that you and I could walk in righteousness and in rightness with our Father in heaven. And so as you come to take communion and as you take those elements, the bread, the cracker that's there is symbolic of the broken body and the juice which you'll dip it in is symbolic of the blood which flowed on on behalf of you and I. Now I know that there are some of you here, you're not believers. You don't believe in Jesus yet. 
I would ask you not to take communion if you're not a believer because this would be a meaningless thing for you and we don't ever want to encourage just like meaningless religious tradition. You do not have to be a member of our church to take communion. You only have to be a Christ follower. And I always say that moment could have happened 50 years ago when you were born or it could be happening 50 seconds ago as I was preaching. All that's required is that you believe and trust in Christ to save you from your sins and to make you right with your Father in heaven and to take you from that camp of death and dead to life, from sick to healed, from unbelieving to believing, from lost to found. If that's you, then we want you to like bum rush the front and get some communion. But that's not you and you're here and you're not a believer, we'd love to talk to you, love to pray with you, I'm glad you're here. We want this to be a safe place for you to process and wrestle. I pray that the Spirit of God is working on you in these moments. We love you. We're glad you're here. Please refrain from taking communion, though. And so with that, I'm going to wrap it up. These guys lead us in worship. Communion servers are here. Brandon and I will be near the front to pray with you. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from the well a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.